Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16. Let's turn together to Matthew chapter 16, and this morning our focus will be from verses 24 down to verse 26. Matthew chapter 16, beginning at verse 24. And the Word of God reads, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? This is the word of the Lord. As you know, as we continue through our study of Matthew's gospel, we find our place this morning now to verse 24, 25, and 26. The title of the message this morning is The Call of Christ to Discipleship. The Call of Christ to Discipleship. What we have here in Matthew's gospel is what we would like to call a, a watershed moment. Watersheds, of course, provide major pathways allowing water to flow from in the hydrological cycle from the tops of mountains to their appointed destinations. Here in the continental United States, the U.S. Continental Divide is the ultimate watershed in the mainland of North America. The rocky line there divides water that ends up into the Pacific Ocean and the Atlantic Ocean. Well, what we have here in Matthew chapter 16 is a spiritual watershed moment here in the text. We've been seeing this week after week that Matthew 16 is different. As we study God's Word, we're coming here to a pivotal moment in the life of Christ. And each week, each text here in Matthew 16 is weighted down with glory and truth. All of God's Word is, of course, we get that. But it's a turning point in the ministry and the life of Jesus. This morning, as we look at verse 24, what we find is, as Jesus reveals, is that it's not only... Who, it's not only that Jesus must die. We saw that last week as Jesus reveals in verses 21 through 23 what must happen. Look there with me in the text that from that time, verse 21, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the hands of the elders and the chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised the third day. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Here now in verse 24, Jesus, in the light of that passage, this is still the continuing text and context, Jesus reveals that it's not just Jesus who must die. Everyone who claims the name of Christ, every would-be disciple who follows after Christ must die. Now, we want to be clear this morning and set some groundwork to be very clear before we walk through the text what it is we're talking about when we talk about death. We want to be very clear this morning that it is Christ's death that saves us, church. Our death is experienced as Christ's death saves us. We come to Christ in faith and repentance. We find that the death and burial and resurrection of Christ is the gospel message as it's proclaimed. The new birth takes place as we hear that gospel message. Faith comes by hearing and, and hearing by the word of Christ. It is not our death that saves us. But yet here, Christ calls us 
to die. It is His death that saves us. And this death we find in our passage that Jesus talks about is not necessary to our being saved, but yet it is always present in those, listen here, who are being saved. In other words, as we hear the call of Christ, this is the fruit of salvation. This is genuine discipleship. This is, as Paul articulates in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, that Christ is the prize. Christ is the goal. Everything else is but dung, rubbish, trash. It's Christ, Christ, Christ. Paul says, I count everything, everything as loss. This is what Paul is describing in Philippians chapter 3, as Jesus is saying here in Matthew chapter 16. We, as true disciples, must count everything as loss for the sake of following and knowing Christ. So just as we establish this foundation this morning, the death that Jesus calls for in his disciples does not earn salvation. This is not a, a works righteousness salvation. It's, it, it is not by works of righteousness that we are saved. So do not hear that uh, this morning. But it is that the death of, that Jesus calls for in this text, the death that Jesus calls for in those who would follow him, also it does not always equate in what we would think of as a martyr-like death or a graphic death. And as we unpack this text this morning, we want to hear the word of the Lord. What it means to, to lose our life for Christ. To give up our life for Christ. To understand that the great paradox of salvation is that as the believer dies to receive Christ, we live. It's in dying to self that we experience the life of Christ. Friends, we are in both elementary waters this morning, but we are also in, in deep waters uh, this morning. And they are good waters for us. Number one, I want you to note here in our text, verse 24, the priority that Jesus conveys in discipleship. The priority. Number one, here in verse 24, the priority of discipleship. And what Jesus reveals to both his disciples and those that are present there that day is that there is a desire. Jesus pulls on this desire. This is a working of the Spirit. The Scripture is clear that if any man would desire to come after him, this is truly someone who's been born again. John 3, Nicodemus, John 3, 5. Nicodemus, unless, unless you are born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus makes this gospel call. He turns to those who are present that, there that day. And we see that there is a desire. This desire is expressed through the desire to follow him. Notice what he says, verse 24. If anyone desires. The same word is used in Matthew chapter 1, where the, the, the context there was the fact that Joseph desired to put Mary away privately. The desire of his heart. This was full of meaning. He had a, her best interest and heart. He had no desire to make a scandal of her. It was the desire of his heart. And then we see the action to put her away privately. It's used in multiple ways in Matthew's gospel. It's the same word. Here, Jesus addresses the desire to follow him. If, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me, and what is that desire? To be his disciple. To follow after him. To be with him. To know him. To serve with him. 
If any man desires to come after me, what is that desire? It's to be a servant for Christ, a student of Christ, a slave to Christ. Let's make something clear this morning. This is not differing levels of discipleship. This is discipleship. This is not, listen here, higher life, secret life in Christ. Listen, this is what it means to be a disciple. This is not just for some of us here this morning. This is for all of us who would profess the name of Christ. This is a call to real discipleship. This is a call to genuine discipleship. And so what comes next? Test that desire. Because many are they who desire. Many are the would-be disciples who hear the message of Christ and say, yeah, I want that. I want to follow Jesus. For example, the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and said, good teacher, good master, I want to follow you. As a student follows a, a rabbi, a teacher, I want to follow you wherever you go. And Jesus exposed to him, revealed to him like a surgeon with a scalpel who peels back the tumor. Jesus spiritually, like a spiritual physician of the soul, peels back the layers of his heart and says, you can't follow me because you won't follow me. Go sell all that you have and then be my disciple. That's not, not that that saves. What he's revealing to this young man is that you are weighted down with the cares of this life. You cannot deny yourself. And the young man went away sorrowfully. He, he did not become a disciple of Jesus. Now, as Jesus stands and turns away, he's expressing this priority of discipleship, and he's expressing it to not only his disciples, but to everyone who's present there that day. It's a both and. It's the tagalongs. But the primary audience of this message are the apostles, are the disciples. It sounds as if Jesus is preaching to the choir, as we like to often say with a little sense of humor, and he is. Because the choir needs preaching too. And let's not forget that one of the members of the choir, to use the analogy, is Judas. Not everybody has counted the cost. Jesus is not wasting his time here. We, we get that. We often say, well, this must be to the lost. This must be to them out there. No, friends, this is to us here this morning. Hear the call of Christ to discipleship. This is not just a call or a reminder for those who are out there, but to those of us who are right here. Remember, verse 18 is the context. I will build my church. He reveals to his disciples the, the gospel plan, the plan of the Father. And it's right here that he says, you must count the cost. And what Jesus calls for here is a distinction between, listen here, empty profession and real possession. What Jesus calls here is for a distinction between words and heart. Not just what we say, but what is done out of the real truth of the heart level belief. It's not just saying good things and what the preacher wants to hear or what our mother or father wants to hear or those who love us in Christ and we know how to say the right things to our friend or, or to others. It's what's in the heart. Matthew 15, 8, these people draw near to me, Jesus has already said. They draw near to me with their mouth. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That's why we have prayed this morning in light of the message. Lord, help our hearts to be where our feet are. Help us to be here not only in body, but help us to be here in truth and in spirit and in soul. So here, verse 24, Jesus addresses the desire to follow him. If anyone, verse 24, if anyone desires to come after me. 
The word after here in verse 24 is the same word that we see in the previous verse in verse 23, where he turns to Peter and he said, verse 23, get thee behind me, Satan. Get behind me, get away from me. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. And here he begins to explain to Peter what, what he needs to know. This is what it means to follow me. So there's a desire. But then notice here in this priority of discipleship, there is also a denial that's expressed. If anyone, Jesus says, desires to come after me, let him... Oh, we don't like this word. This word is not in our vocabulary. This word doesn't sell books. This word does not draw crowds. This word will actually repel people. This word is antithetical to humanism. This word is the opposite of self-love. This word is the opposite of the self-help gospel. This word is the opposite of all that we naturally, key word there, naturally want to hear. And it's this, deny. Deny. Notice he says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. This is what we would call one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Theologians have put together the Gospels, and there are just some passages in the Gospels that are, let's just be honest, they're difficult. They, they cross-grain the natural man. They cross-grain our, our will, our heart, our soul. And friends, that is good. That is salvation. That is life. To be corrected, to be cross-grained. This is one of those texts. This is one of the, the hard sayings of Jesus. This is one of the demands that Jesus gives to the world. Notice here, there's a denying aspect to this discipleship. This is not an option, this is an imperative. If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny. Like a running back, stiff-arming the would-be tackler, let him deny, but not someone else. Let him deny himself. This is not an option. And yet, as we all know, this is foreign to our modern-day gospel, many of them today. It's foreign in any type of biblical preaching or any type of regular ethic or culture of the church. It's foreign in discipleship as we remind one another of the call of Christ, as we as iron sharpening iron strengthen each other, pray with one another. Why is life so difficult, we say sometimes, right? Our discipleship is not easy. Listen, following Christ doesn't take just some of what we have. It takes all that we are by His Spirit. When life seems difficult, we have to remind ourselves this is, this is sanctification. This is the work of the Spirit. This is what God, Philippians chapter 1 and 2, this is what God puts in our hearts both to will and to do of His good pleasure. This is the fruit of, the, of following after Christ and having a desire to follow after this. Unpacking the joy and the fruit of our salvation. Friends, I just want, to, want you to hear me this morning. You cannot have Christ as Savior and reject Him as Lord. You cannot have Jesus as your Savior but not bow to Him as Lord. You can't come to Jesus as a means to not go to hell when you die and yet not bow to Him as Lord in your life here and now. Listen, He is both Lord and Christ. He's both Lord and Savior. Listen, you can receive His free gift of salvation, but know that with His free gift of salvation, oh, what glorious salvation it is. 
Listen, he takes ownership over everything. Again, th- that, that's what Lord means. That's what Lord is. In other words, another way of saying it is that Jesus never comes second. You can't say, yes, Lord, but. No, it's, it's yes, Lord, and bow. Jesus doesn't come second, third, or fourth. Jesus comes first. It's yes, Lord, yes. And so you can have the promise of salvation. And listen, you have the blessed witness of the Spirit as He leads you into all truth. But hear the word of the Lord, Christ cannot be divided. You cannot accept in the sense of taking Christ as Savior and reject Him as Lord. So as we look here at this text, we see that to follow Christ is to receive Him as the Savior from our sins. Matthew one twenty one. You shall call His name Jesus, for He shall save His people from their sins. And if that is real and genuine and has happened in your life, you will receive Him as Lord. The fruit of that soul life, sanctifying life in the Spirit and the Gospel is evident in verse 24. That if anyone desires to come after me, let him take up his cross and follow me. Listen, there's no other way to say it this morning. He demands everything. Jesus demands all. He requires it. So here, as Jesus is turning to his disciples, he's calling for a verdict. He's calling to, for a decision. And this is not new. In fact, take your Bibles and just really quickly, we're going to go to two passages. Go back to Matthew chapter 8, verse 18. And and let's not forget that this is one of Jesus' favorite themes to return to. In other words, Jesus had certain messages that were always in season. Did he not? Where Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, be ready to preach the word in season and out of season. Last week's text, if you remember, verse 21 told us that from that time Jesus began. In other words, this is a season of a repeating, reoccurring message. And what was one of those reoccurring messages? Well, we see over in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 18. Notice the two would-be disciples who come to Jesus. Matthew 8, 18. And when Jesus saw the great multitudes about him, he gave commandment to depart to the other side. And then certain, a certain scribe came and said to him, Teacher, notice here, what a wonderful, this is amazing. This is the guy that comes up at the end of the service and says, Pastor I want to be a disciple of Christ. That's, that's glorious. I want that. You want that. We all want that. That's what's happening here. Verse 20, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. That's where we get the phrase, Jesus never comes second. You don't tell Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, but first I need to go do this. You're missing the call. You're missing the point. Jesus comes first. It's yes. I know that English may not, I may not be saying it all the right ways grammatically in English. It's just yes, yes, yes. He says, but let me first go and bury my father who's not yet dead, but one day he will. I need to oversee his estate. I need to liquidate the assets. And then when life is secure and my bank accounts are right where I need them to be, then in the prime of life, I will be in a position to be not only a disciple, but Jesus, I could be a benefactor to the the kingdom. 
I want to be a disciple. Jesus says, I don't need all that. You come now. I'm calling now, you come now. And that's what he says. And and Jesus said to him, verse 22, but Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. What is Jesus exposing here to these would-be disciples? He's exposing comfort. He's exposing uh, security. He's exposing to the first man, he's exposing, listen, if you come with us, we've got nowhere to even lay our head. We're trusting the Father to divinely cover our needs. And the implication here of the text is that the man went away. It's, Jesus, I'll be your disciple if the benefit plans are like what they need to be. Jesus, I'll be your disciple if uh, I can also make my mom and dad happy as well. We were listening in Sunday school this morning, talking about this text and what are some practical things. And a brother gave the testimony that God had called him to go do something very specific. And that when he told his father the good news about serving the Lord in this way, his father looked at him in the face and said, you, I thought I could use you. I thought I could trust you. I thought you were going to be the one who would oversee my trust and my affairs and my estates. And here you're telling me that you're leaving to go, what now? Go serve somebody? I mean, what was that again? Right? And that's my adding to the story. That, that's the tenor. That's what we're talking about. When Jesus calls us to come to him, this is not a new theme. This is not a new exposure. This is not a, a one-off. No, 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 that's already happened. Now, now turn with me very quickly, Matthew chapter 10, verse 34. In Matthew 10, 34, a passage we've already seen. Jesus, this is again one of the hard sayings of Jesus. Matthew 10, 34, do not think that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Okay, let's just hit pause for a second, friends, because we recognize this is not very, excuse me, I do not mean to be sacrilegious, but Jesus-like, or Jesus-y, as we say. That, this doesn't sound like Jesus. Well, not to the modern-day Jesus that we fashion in our own making, but this is the God of the Bible. This is the Christ of the Bible. And here Jesus makes clear, in my coming, in the setting of my, of my kingdom, do not think that I came to bring peace on earth, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of you say, thank goodness. No, I'm kidding. Verse 36, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household in my kingdom. He who loves father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son and daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He who does not take his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses his life for my sake will find it. Well, here we are back in the third time, and I believe is really the quintessential, the key call to discipleship text so far in Matthew's gospel. Jesus is not ashamed of this. He's not stuttering about it. He's not uh, kind of giving it in secret. This is to all. This is a public message. So we need to ask ourselves a question, looking back at verse 24, this priority of discipleship. Let him deny himself. What does it mean to deny ourselves? What does it mean to deny yourself? No doubt some of you are listening to me preaching this this morning, and you're already wondering that. Well, it means a number of things. The most simplistic definition, it means to deny the natural man. It means to deny self-will. It means to deny all that comes in our birth. Romans 3, no man seeks after God. No man loves God. No man desires the things of God. It means to reject all of that. 
Proverbs says that there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end, the fruit of that way is what? It's death. It means denying that. Denying natural wisdom, carnal thinking, carnal methods and ways, all that comes naturally to the human heart. It means a willingness to sometimes to choose against the very life that you have always known. And I don't just mean of the old man. I mean sometimes the call of Christ means that he has plans that you've never seen. You had dreams, but your dreams are not his dreams. And you hear that, and you think all that's bad and wicked and horrible, not wicked, excuse me, but just morbid, as if all joy and happiness in your life are now gone if you do this. And friends, that is the, the lie from the pits of hell. That's where Jesus says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. And this morning as I'm preaching this message, there is a whisperer in your ear, and he's saying, what he's preaching is a hard truth. Are you sure you can trust that? Are you sure, are you, sure you can trust that pastor? Are you sure you can trust the call of Christ? There's no doubt there is warfare taking place this morning as this message is going out. I know that. Scripture makes that clear. Ephesians 6. It means a willingness to deny our dreams and our goals for what Christ has designed for us. And friends, it's there that we find all that is good and true and beautiful in life. The lie of Satan is, is if you follow Christ, you will be miserable when he himself keeps men enslaved in a misery. There is a way that seems right unto man, and the end of that way is, is death. So, will you turn from who you are by nature, the natural man, desires, inclinations, sin, all that is against God's truth, His law, to receive all that is in Christ and to walk in the newness of life. What does it mean to deny ourselves? There are so many commentaries and people who I think just uh, take this to so many complicated ways, and I'm just going to keep it on the, the bottom shelf this morning. It means to deny the natural man, the old man, who you've been in Christ, and to come to Christ, excuse me, who you've been in Adam, your first father, and to come to Christ and to take up his life, to be filled by the Spirit in your regeneration. All your treasured sins you abandon. All the things you once loved, you now hate. This is the fruit of the gospel. This is the fruit of salvation. Salvation and regeneration and the new birth are described in this way, that what you once clung onto and held, you now abandon because of the call of Christ and the fruit of the gospel and the power of the gospel. And the things that you once would never be caught dead doing, like being here <laughs> this morning, you now love. You love Christ. You love his word. You love his truth. You love his people. You love his kingdom. And you're willing to lay down your life for it. It's crazy. It's crazy, maybe not to you here this morning, but it's crazy to your parents, some of you. It's crazy to your brothers and sisters. It's crazy to your children. It's crazy to your friends. But this is the call of Christ. Galatians 2.20, Paul describes it best. Paul says it like this, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Do you just feel the weight of this text? Do you see how this countercultural this text is? It goes completely opposite from everything our culture tells us. No, to, to have life is not to crucify yourself. You be you. You go do you. You magnify you. 
You go show the world who you are. You follow your heart. And Paul says, no, I've crucified all that. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me doing me or any of that stuff. Galatians 2.20, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, right here, right now, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What does it mean to deny ourselves? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. That natural way of man to lean into our own wisdom and understanding, we deny all that. And we say, Christ, I'm as helpless as water. I am as weak as water. Christ, if you do not lead me, if you do not feed me, if you do not shepherd me, if you do not help me, I have no hope. I have no strength. I have no joy. There is no future for me. That, that's what it means to follow Christ and to deny yourself. As Paul says, it means the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. How much faith life are you living? Or how much manipulation are you scheming? Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Lean not into your own understanding, but in all your ways. Trust Him. Lean Him. Follow Him. Lean not into your own understanding, but all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your paths. That sounds like discipleship language, doesn't it? Following my Lord, following my shepherd, my sheep, Jesus says, hear my voice, and they follow me. This is discipleship. One commentator to deny oneself means to renounce the old self. The self as it is apart from regenerating grace. A person who dies to himself gives up all reliance on who he is by nature and depends for salvation upon God alone. He no longer seeks to promote his own predominantly selfish interests, but has become wrapped up in the cause of promoting, listen here, the glory of God in his own and in his every life that he's connected with, and also in every sphere of behavior. He's got it right. Here, in this text, we see that following Christ means denying self. It means submitting myself to Christ's discipline, plans, care, will, and his future for me. This is what it means. When you come to Christ, it's no longer about you. That's what Jesus says. This is a God-centered existence. This is a Christ-centered existence. This is self-seeking versus self-denial. We put down self and we deny our self. And I know, I get it. As I'm preaching this message, I hear the whisper of Satan. This sounds at times odd. You know why it sounds odd? It's because we are far more influenced by this fallen culture than we could ever understand or imagine. It permeates our words. It permeates our conversation. It permeates our thinking. This is a fallen domain. And so anytime we hear all that is natural to the preserving of self, we think we know the way. And here Jesus says, deny yourself. This has been a problem from the beginning. Submitting to the call of Christ, submitting to the plan of the Father, submitting to all that He has for us. So it is a denial regarding the past. Let him deny himself. But notice here, verse 24, it's also a denial regarding the future. It looks this way, but it also looks that way. If anyone, verse 24, desires to come after me, let him deny himself, and then notice this phrase, and take up his cross. Well, this is interesting. In fact, this is so mundane and ordinary and commonplace that to say the cross in the church, to say the cross 
in a community like this really doesn't mean a whole lot. We understand the cross, but it's almost, we can miss it. What is Jesus saying here? Well, to understand what he's saying here, we need to understand how they heard it in their original audience. So let me phrase it like this. If anyone desires to come after me, let him take up, deny himself and take up his electric chair. Wear that little electric chair around your, your uh, neck on a necklace. That would be odd, wouldn't it? Uh, execution sentence by firing line. Somehow come up with a bronze figurine of that and wear it. That would be odd. Electric chair, let's just stick with that. That would be odd. That's what Jesus is saying. Here, Jesus is taking the common, most common method of execution in the first century world, in this Greco-Roman world. This is the most common way that men were put to death. It was a public display. We will not do an in-depth study of the cross this morning or just simply the means of dying on the cross. But what Jesus here is saying is that this is a denial of your future. Let him, notice here the language, take up his cross. What, what's he saying? This is a, a denial, a, a disregarding of self regarding not only the past, but the future. And here's the idea. When a man was sentenced to die, in sentenced to die by crucifixion, he would take up his cross beam and being led from the prison to the appointed hillside, he and all the others who were set to die that day, would carry on their shoulders, not the full cross, but the beam, the cross section. And they would be taken upon a death march. They were literally dead men walking. And they would be marching in a public display, a public announcement, a public witness that these are men who are heading to their deaths. They're heading to die. And Jesus chooses this Metaphor, this illustration to say, if any man would come after me, let him, verse 24, deny himself and take up his cross. And what Jesus here is saying is that you must be willing to abandon your old life. You must be willing to submit everything into the hands of the Father. You must be willing to follow him wherever he leads you. This is the announcement of your life. This is the public witness and testimony to all who know you. This is you coming to Christ by faith. You coming and joining His body, the church. This is you coming to follow Christ in discipleship by believer's baptism. And all of this is a public witness and display that, that I am now Christ. I love Christ. I'm following Christ. It's death to self and whatever He has for my future, but it's just Christ, Christ, Christ. This is what he means. One commentator says to take up one's cross is simply to be willing to pay any price for Christ's sake. It's the willingness to endure shame, embarrassment, reproach, rejection, persecution, and even martyrdom for his sake. In the most basic and elementary sense, it means to turn away from our own natural inclinations and self centeredness. I want to ask you a question this morning. Are you willing to die for Christ? And that's good. I hope your answer is yes, but I'm going to ask you an even more important question. The first one was, are you, church, willing to die for Christ? Good, but here's the harder one. Are you willing to live for him? That's the hard one. Because taking up our cross, Luke adds, in Luke, Luke's account of this, 
he adds one word difference. He says this, take up your cross daily. What, are, what, what does that mean, Luke? What are days made up of? It's not like once a day you deny yourself. Okay, glad we got that out of the way. All right, everybody. No. It's to deny yourself daily. What are days made up of? Hours? Minutes? Seconds? It means to deny yourself every moment. To be filled with Christ. All that would come natural, you, you set aside. You say, Christ, I get it. I'm made in your, your image. Well, let me maybe give some clear, clarification here. God's made all of you beautiful in His sight. Men and women, biologically born males and biologically born females, God has made you to give Him glory as He's made you, originally. And your calling as a male or female. God's given you unique personalities. God's given each one of us giftings. We're not, what we're not saying this morning is like all of that becomes like a gray slate. That's not what we're saying. It's saying how Christ, Lord, I yield to you. I take all that I am, and you take these hands and do with them what you will. You take my unique giftings and callings. I surrender it all to you. I don't know best. You know best. It doesn't mean you become an automaton and just become a, um, oh, what's the word, a drone or something. No, that's not what we're talking about. God has made you to give him great glory. But what it says is he comes first. And everything's for his glory. Everything else comes second. Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. And friends, you know this is true. You've, you've placed him first and he's blessed you. He's added grace upon grace upon you. We are a church who is blessed. The struggle for us here as we look at this text is not whether we're going to die for Christ. I'm sure you would. The question for us is will you live for him? Will you deny all that comes natural? Will you deny the self-life, the me-first life, the thing you don't have to teach? We could go down to the, the nursery this morning, and I have no doubt at some point between two babies, the nursery worker had to say, whoa, 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 we are going to share. We, we, you will have it for a few minutes, and you will have it for a few minutes, but we must share. Well, whatever that is, it wasn't taught. It's the way of the flesh. So Jesus asked this question. I've got to move quickly here. Do you wish to come after me? Verse 24, then let a man deny himself and take up his cross. This is the priority of discipleship. Secondly, very quickly, we see the paradox of discipleship. In verse 25, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. God's math makes no sense. This right here does not make sense to the natural man. You know, we often say God's addition and subtraction is different than our addition and subtraction. God's ways are different than our ways. His thoughts are different than our thoughts. Scripture is clear about that. But here we have the paradox of discipleship. Whoever desires to save his life. Friends, this is so natural. Self-preservation. There's a natural self-interest. We don't like pain. You know, we don't like to inflict. Resist. But that's not what this is talking about. This is not talking about, okay, go out and, and, and maybe punish yourself a little bit. No, not at all. I was reading an article this week about a millionaire who is on a passion. He spends millions of dollars each year to try to preserve his life. The article headline, I just barely skimmed it, just went through it fast, and it said he takes 111 pills a day, has a rigid schedule, follows all these details, whatever, and his goal is that so that he doesn't die. Good luck with that. 
Death is undefeated, friends. Listen, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment. But yet there are those who would do everything, are doing everything to not lose their life. They're trying to save it. They're trying to preserve it. They're consumed with self. They're consumed with health. They're consumed with wealth. They are trying to save their lives. And that's what Jesus is saying. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Friends, think about the pursuit. What is the pursuit of your life this morning? What is your number one priority? What are you living for? I don't assume to know. You have to dig down deep and search your heart and say, Lord, is this me? Am I desiring to save my life? Or Lord, am I willing to lose it for you? To give it to you? To allow you to take it and use it in a way that I could never imagine? It's like the little boy who brought his lunch to Jesus. He tried to save his life that day, to use that metaphor. He only would have filled his little stomach, and what a tiny little stomach that would have been, and just one person would have been ministered to, and what a, just a natural way, it's normal. That's what any man would do. But what did he do? He brought it to Christ. And what did Christ do with it? Oh, Christ did more with his little lunch in his life than, than he could ever do in the power of the flesh. That's what we're talking about here. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, and you will find true life, not only now, but forever. You will know what the Christ-like life is like. What Jesus is telling his disciples is what he's telling Peter in the passage just before. Listen, I'm going to the cross. I'm going to be killed. I'm going to be buried and I'm going to rise three days later. And if you would be my disciple, a disciple is not greater than his master. And friends, but here's the problem. I think many of us are trying to have a better life than what Christ had. We're trying to do discipleship differently than what Jesus shows. We're trying to go about it in an American way. We say, yeah, but our culture says it like this. A culture, to hell with culture, excuse me. Abandon all those things to hell with them, the natural way. All the things that would come against Christ, they, where they perish for all eternity. And yet that's the whisper of Satan coming in to keep us from the call of Christ. And I mean that word in the purest sense of the word, not as a byword. I don't cuss. I don't throw that around just in case some of you responded in a way not expecting that. I mean it. In preaching, in the purest sense, all of that will burn up in rubbish one day. That is the siren call of hell. I have a book in my library that's called The Valley of Vision. It's prayers by the Puritans, and one of them goes like this. I can't say it any better. Number two, the paradox of discipleship. Lord, high and holy, meek and lowly. Let me learn by paradox that the way up, excuse me, the way down is the way up. That to be low is to be high. That the broken heart is the healed heart. That the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit. That the repenting soul is the victorious soul. That to have nothing is to possess everything. That to bear the cross is to wear the crown. That to give is to receive let me find thy light in my darkness, thy joy in my sorrow, thy grace in my sin, thy riches in my poverty, thy glory in my valley, thy life in my death. That is the paradox of discipleship. And the siren call of the world is this, self-esteem, 
self-love, self-care, self-preservation, self, 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 self. And there's only one word that Jesus uses before self in the Gospels, and it's this, deny. Friends, this is why we're strange. This is why we're different than everyone we know. This is why we're different than our friends and family and loved ones. It doesn't mean we try to be weird. We just are different. Again, don't, don't hear me. If you're trying to be unusual, you're missing it. There's no goal or anything in the Christian life where there's a delight in being unusual. But if we treasure the gospel, and if we live this as, as we see that Christ gives it to us, you don't have to add anything else to it. We stand out as the salt and light of the world. I have a question for you this morning. When did you lose your life to try to find, or excuse me, to find true life in Christ? 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. This is the way of most people that you know. The things of the Spirit of God and Christ, they're unusual, they're foolish, they're odd. And Paul says, nor can they know them because they are spiritually discerned. 1 Corinthians 12, 3, Paul says, Therefore I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed, and no one can say that Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. This is the work of the Spirit giving us a new heart. And notice here, new eyes. This is about valuation. And when Christ gives us a new heart and we walk in newness of life, we then have new eyes. We then start valuing what, what we never valued before, which is Christ and the kingdom of God. We begin to walk in that newness of life. Here Jesus would tell us, lose your life now and gain life forever in Christ. Or keep your life now and you will lose true eternal life forever. There's another way to say it. If you do not lose your life now, you will lose it forever. And lastly, verse 26, we see the price of discipleship. And what a verse. Each one of these are just standalone Bible. We could just have a Bible conference right here with each one of these. The verse 26, Jesus asks this, again, this question. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and yet loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Here, first, Jesus starts off with a comprehensive macro view. Talking about the value of the human soul. And, and talking about, and, and so what would he trade for his soul if, verse 26, what if, what if a man could gain the whole world? Well, many have tried. Ancient history, modern history, Genghis Khan, Alexander the Great. We could walk through the survey of Western Civ and just talk about men who tried to gain the whole world. And they didn't, but they still lost their souls. But let's say they did, they'd still lose their souls. But let's get even more specific, as Jesus does. Let's go from here, and let's go here. Notice the second half of verse 26. Okay, or, or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now that hits on another level. These two things are not the same. First, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world? What, what are you, what, what, what? It's like having a conversation with a man. You say, what are you living for? Man, you know what? I'm living the dream. Oh, and what is that? Well, I work 40 hours a week. I, my goal one day is to get a, 
Camaro, 1960, you know, just they start walking through some like dream list. Is any of that inherently evil? No, not at all. The problem is, is if that's all you're living for. What are you living for? You know, one day I hope to have a cabin somewhere up in whatever. Okay. What do we know according to Scripture? Got it. You can have it. What is that man going to find? Whatever his dream list is, go through it. Is, is that everything he's ever wanted? Yes, in one sense, but is he going to find in it all that he's ever desired? And the answer to that is no. Tom Brady, after he won his first championship, is on public record of saying he was stunned after he won the Super Bowl by saying, is this it? Like, this is it? This is it? This is what it feels like to win a Super Bowl? All of that for this? And he was greatly disappointed, greatly stunned. So what did he do? He said, all right, I, maybe it's the second one. And he was uniquely gifted, as we know. It's not about being a Brady fan. It's just taking his words and that kind of thing. And the man's more, won more Super Bowls than you can count. Probably wear fingers on your, on your hands. And yet he's a miserable person by his own witness. Deion Sanders, who's been a lot in the news lately, the other day was talking about making his profession of faith in Christ. But he was talking about being at the top of every sphere of life. In baseball, football, with women, money, riches, houses, lands. And he could never be more miserable than in that moment. He was a wretch. And he gave witness or gave a profession about how Christ came in and changed his life. And he has a new value system. That, that's what we're talking about. For what profit is a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? But here's the second question. Or what will a man give in exchange for his own soul? Some men are content to sell out for a home or for women, or for a job. Not the whole world. They don't want the whole world. They're not even trying to win the whole world. They're willing to give, it up, give up their soul for, for this, or just this trinket, or that. That's what Jesus is saying. Or what will a man give, value system, in exchange for his own soul? Friends, we find here a convicting message. We find here that the call of Christ is, listen, to turn to Him and to live, to follow Him, to commit everything into His hands, to feel the power and the witness of the Holy Spirit saving us in the salvation life, if you will. We are justified in the new birth, but in salvation we are being sanctified in this life as our hearts begin to treasure Christ and His truths in the Spirit more and more and more. This morning I want to ask you, what stands between you and Christ? Do you treasure Christ as he gives us in his word? Do you see it as the man in Matthew 13, 45 saw it when he saw that the kingdom of heaven was like a merchant seeking beautiful pearls who when he had found the one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had to buy it. The saddest thing in all the world is to watch people who profess to know Jesus and yet abandon him to pursue things that never satisfy. As we conclude this morning, I want to ask you just one question. Are you in your profession, witnessing the power of the Holy Spirit as you see the gospel at work in your life, when you hear the whisper of Satan, the siren call of this world speak to you in terms of self-identity, self-love, self-care, self-esteem, self-expression, self-fulfillment, self-actualization, on and on and on we could go. Do you feel the witness of the Spirit say, die to all that? That's the whisper of Satan. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit, 2 Corinthians 10 verse 5, tells us to cast down arguments and to cast down every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and, listen here, to bring every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. To follow Christ is to surrender our self-will, to surrender our self-autonomy and to live in abandonment to Him. There's tons, tons more we could say here. But church, may the Lord apply His truth, His message, and His word, and may He help us to obey it. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You for Your word. It's convicting. Father, I've sensed in my very spirit this morning warfare happening in this place. I don't mean to be mystical or... There's times you could just tell in the preaching of the word there is battle taking place. We are not ignorant of Satan's devices. Father, we as your people this morning, we confess the desire to do what Paul instructs, to cast down arguments, to cast down philosophies and ideologies that would seek to steal our hearts away from loving Christ, denying self, taking up our cross, and following you. Father, thank you that we find your life in our death. It is the sweetest most amazing, most beautiful gift that any man could ever experience in this life. All in all is Jesus, and Jesus is everything. Lord, you're just not, you're not only all that we need, you're all we have. We keep our eyes fixed upon you, the author and the finisher of our faith. Lord, I pray that if through the preaching of the word this morning, anyone here this morning saw their need for Christ, their need to be saved, I pray, Lord, that they would call upon the name of the Lord at this very moment, and they would seek your face and be born again. We pray that you would do all these things for your glory and your honor. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. Sing the goodness of Jesus. Come, you weary heart, now to Jesus. Us. Come, you anxious soul, now and see. There is perfect love and comfort in your tears. Rest here in your wondrous peace. Oh, the goodness, the goodness of Jesus. Satisfy, He is all that I need.